Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Coffee with Mirko. I believe this is episode number 36. And uh, yeah, we're going to be joined soon by the Brewers Australian champion from 2019, Yarina Ferreira. So yeah, very excited. It's good to be back. And there's podcasts and live streams. So if you're enjoying the live streams, please feel free to share and please feel free to Take a screenshot and uh, just uh, tell people about it or just reshare the podcast or the YouTube channel uh, as you watch or if you re-hear it, re-listen to it uh, in the podcast form. So Yanina will join us very soon and uh, we'll be able to have a good conversation. I'm just going to pin in the comments who we're talking to today. Talking with Yanina. Ferreira. Here we go. Post. Okay. So a few big shout outs. Oz Consult, good to see you back. Triple Three Coffee, Corn, Copy, and uh, here is Yanina. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing, Yanina? I'm very well. Good to hear. And, uh, well, welcome. Thank you for joining us and thank you for taking your time to uh, share with us your stories and your knowledge. But first and foremost, how's you and your family with the pandemic? Um, I'm doing very well. Family is actually getting bigger. Um, I'm going to have my first nephew in, a, in like two months. So it's been interesting having parents in Argentina, having my sister here. Um, it's been very emotionally charged. Um, of course. And this, and well, in this, week, this weekend... Congratulations. A, thank you. And this weekend I, I got a pet for the first time ever. So, yeah, family got bigger. Dog or cat? A cat. Uh-huh. I see. And sorry, you're from Argentina. Like, is it... Janina, Janina or Janina? Janina. Janina. Como, como Sevilla and no Sevilla. I get yeah. it. Like the Buenos Aires accent carry, carry through. I get it. I get it. Okay, cool. But we'll, we'll keep this in English, I suppose, for the viewers. No problem. Um, so, Janina, could you please tell us uh, and the audience more about how you started your coffee journey? And hello to everyone, by the way. Um, yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I started making coffee 10 years ago when I first moved to Australia. Um, I didn't know any English then, so it just made sense to hide behind the machine. Um, and yeah, it was a lovely journey. You know, like you, you always try to build that connection with customers. Um, at that point, I remember I used to um, try my best to be the cleanest and the fastest. Uh, then of course that always makes especially takeaway customers very happy and started building you know a bit of knowledge on how to make their coffee better i used to buy lots of coffee magazines back then and just read about it um and my first contact with real specialty coffee was in 2012 when i went to the first mice coffee expo in melbourne 
and and I met so many amazing coffee professionals. But until there, I was like two years just living coffee by myself, basically, like not really knowing that there were other people that liked it as much as I did. Only I would read about it on the magazines. So going to Melbourne Coffee Expo was a crazy experience for me. Well, yes, which it led up to 2019, which at the same event you managed to want to win the Australia Australian Brewers Cup competition, um, and I was there on that day actually. Um, oh, nice. I was in a stand. Um, how defining was that moment for your career? Um, for my career, it wasn't crazy defining at that moment. Um, it was definitely a big moment for myself personally. Um, I had a big, I had put a lot of hopes into that competition because I was, I was coming from a from a bad year, which was 2018 for myself, and it was a year I didn't compete, and it was a year I I had a lot of, I had lost a lot of hope in the coffee industry, so I put everything together into that Brewers Cup, and for me that was like the, the decisive moment to know if, and so it was it was interesting. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, without following my script here, um, could you unpack that? Because I think it's important for people who are going to rewatch this on YouTube and on the IGTV. Because it happens, you know, it happens with lots of people, but not lots of people are wary and willing to share. Uh, what do you mean by losing hope? Well, um, 2017 was, wasn't an easy year for me. Basically, it was like a period of 12 months going from July 2017 till like middle of 2018. Um, and I decided not to compete that year, but I wanted to judge. Um, and then I started to see, you know, also backstage, um, how the, the treatment with coffee, uh, with woman in coffee was a little bit different. And I started to see some of those, like what I like to call invisible issues, because sometimes when they don't happen to you, when you hear about them, you're like, no way, that's, that doesn't happen. Um, but I started to see them more and more often, and I started getting a little bit upset about it. Of course. And in, and... Fact, my, in fact, my next question was, uh, how important it was for you to win, for you, but also for all the women in coffee? Do you feel a sense of pride and responsibility with it? Oh, definitely. I, I, the moment I felt the worst was 2018 Nationals where I wasn't competing. And I saw there were two girls in Barista Top 12. Actually, one girl in Barista Top 12 and two girls in Brewers Cup Top 12. Mm -hmm. And I remember being very angry at myself because I was like, this is my fault because I'm not competing. I'm not yeah. in there. So I'm the first one letting this one down for not being part of. And I was so upset with myself. I wasn't angry with the world, I was just angry with myself and why I didn't compete that year. Yeah. Um, so at that moment was when everything crossed path and after that, my, I was so close to leave, uh, but I decided to give it one more shot and, and it was breaking into two parts, right? The first part was I met Agneska um, before she did her nationals for barista competition that year. We were talking about Brewer's Cup a lot and she was gonna enter Brewer's Cup and we were gonna sell her coffee for it. And in the middle of that, she told me that she was doing barista competition as well. And then 
as part of that, she ended up telling me she she won barista competition and she didn't have any coffee to go to Worlds with. So making a very long story, trying to make it very short, we I I decided that to do everything I could to convince Sasha to to sponsor her. Uh, we did, and then eventually when she came to Canberra, um, I asked her if she was gonna going to what she wanted to do in Worlds at that time was Amsterdam. She said she wanted to make semis, and I said, no, nah, you need to win it. You need to promise me you're going to win it because I'm so tired of this. And I, maybe I was putting my own, you know, projecting my own badness onto her a little bit. But yeah. I was like, you need to promise me you're going to try. And I said to her, don't tell me, yes, I'm going to win it. Just promise me you're going to aim for it because I'm so tired of people not aiming for it. Yes, because coffee has often been referred as a very uh, male industry. and uh, But thanks to people like you and also, you know, let's name Aga or John, or there's a lot of amazing, I mean, you probably work closely with Nicole or, you know, this Andrea Allen that was on this podcast as well. Uh, this is really pushing more girls and women to chase the coffee trade. I think that, I think that representation at competition level, even though competitions is not often, it's it's often not, how can I put it? Uh, competition is not reality with the industry. You know, it's like a little bubble, right? But it's yeah. great. But it's great because it gives voice to the voiceless, like you said. You know, you call it invisible, but we, we, we you know, your guys are giving voice to the voiceless. So yeah, I think that's fantastic. And uh, uh, well, then obviously Aga did, what she did. <laughs> yeah, which I, I can't say I was surprised because I was so, I was grabbing onto the idea that she could win so hard that in my head there was no other possible scenario. But the moment she did, I remember thinking, fuck, what have we done? Like, yeah. like oops. <laughs> it was like a big like, what have we done? Like, no, 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 like, yeah. Yes, it was and that an kind idea. of started. That kind of started a whole bunch of people winning nationals, uh, like women winning nationals, even latte art worlds. I mean, uh, obviously the latest uh, world latte art champion. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah. So what? Well, whilst we're on this topic, what words would you have for young women, especially, to get started? Because I, for example, there's a is uh, one of the people that usually watch this show and she's only 16 and she started roasting, pouring, brewing. Amazing. Like uh, at 16, I was just, I don't know, going to clubs and just exactly. being silly. <laughs> but she's, she's exceptionally rare. But what words would you have for young and not, not non-super young uh, women to get started in, uh, in coffee? I think that um, whatever is that thing you want to achieve and do, um, just go for it and don't let anybody stop you from getting there. Because that's the thing. There's a lot of like, maybe there's no one necessarily saying, no, you're not allowed into this cupping session. That doesn't happen. But you get all these little other struggles and they're so tiny that when you put them all together, eventually you end up thinking, maybe this is not for me. And I'm not a person that expects 50-50, right? I don't expect to be 50% female competitors, 50% male competitors. But I want that if, if a girl wants to compete, she can look up 
and have a couple of reference, have a couple of like ambassadors to look up and go, oh, I want to be like her. Uh, one of my biggest inspirations in coffee uh, without knowing her at that time was Jay Jennings from Veneziano. Mm -hmm. Because for me, it was like, she had a child in the middle of like doing comps, you know? And, yeah. and even if I never had kids, for me, it was like, I can totally identify myself with her because she's going through a completely different amount of struggle and, and also like the, the society, you know, kind of telling her, what are you doing? You have kids. But there's many baristas out there that have kids, male baristas, and nobody stops them from competing. Nobody says, hey, what are you doing? You should be at home with your family. Um, yeah. So I think that's, that's the thing. Like, I just want all the girls, even if they want to compete or not, to make sure that they can look up and go, I want to be a coffee roaster like this one, or I want to be a green bean buyer like this one, or I want to be a world champion like this one. Yeah. yeah I think uh, female representation is extremely important across multiple industries. Um, and I think that you're doing something about it rather than just dwelling and complaining. I think that's even an extra element to, to the story because it's, it's easy to get caught up and it's fine, by the way, to get caught up and dwell and uh, kind of go inwards and not really do something about it versus you did something about it, which is fantastic, which, which you know, it was a great, great achievement. And look, I agree. When we talk about passions and when we talk about going for it, three biggest elements are patience, uh, like patience is super important. Uh, strip yourself of entitlement because, you know, we are no one. <laughs> and also there is no right or wrong. So just keep going the way that you're going. Yeah. Now, speaking of which, you know, because I think, uh, you know, we're going to get back into this topic, but could, could you kindly tell the audience more about your brewing style and is that true that you never made a V60 six months prior to the competition? <laughs> I didn't make a V60 one month prior to the competition. I started my practice in September and my first regionals was in October. Wow. Yeah. Very embarrassing. That's crazy. That's also, crazy. You know, you know Connor, right? Connor Tigwell from Sub-Zero as well. He's sometimes with Honey down there. He works at, in Ona. Not personally, but yeah. We went to Origin together a couple of years ago, and we were doing this coffee demonstration, and we had to brew. And I didn't know what to say. I was kind of like, you know, like a little bit uncomfortable with the situation. So I was like, oh, I'll just get brewing so I don't have to talk. And then I pick <laughs> up this kettle, and I remember he, he from behind me said, You've never done this before, haven't you? And I was like, shut up, Connor. Like, just shut up. <laughs> like, she saw me pouring. He's like, you've never done this before. And I was like, Shh, shut up. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Like, yeah. but I, actually, because I, I was, this is even more embarrassing, but I, I actually started my barista career and I wasn't drinking coffee. I was in the morning, I would dial in and my chef would tell me, yeah, tastes good, tastes bad, that's it. Um, yeah. And obviously, look and feel and recipes, but I didn't drink coffee until years later, but that's interesting. But uh, and in terms of brewing style, now obviously you, you won a national competition. What's your, what's the Yanina style? What's the Yanina pour? Um, well, I, I use 
I use Tetsu's recipe for the uh, V60. Mm -hmm. um, so I use that kind of technique. Uh, I've been exploring some other stuff, especially when I started practicing for Worlds, which was a complete different type of practice than preparing for regionals or nationals. Mm -hmm. um, so I try a few other things. I still stick with the V60. However, the only little thing that I have come up with myself was um, some uh, technique with a clever dripper for compulsory round. Um, something that my coach at that time was calling the Janina Vita because he was using the, the Bonavita Clever Drippers. Um, that, that one I came out with and it was, a, it was an absolute mistake when we first got to it. And it was funny because it was like a one size dress. It was one recipe and it would only work that way without changing any variables and it would make a very nice coffee. Um, yeah, it was very well, funny. It obviously, everything worked out at the end for you. Um, and for, for the people who are not familiar with um, with your role, what, what do you exactly do at Project Origin and what's your strongest passion that draws you into uh, being a passionate ambassador and obviously a uh, worker and how, what you do basically at Project Origin? So I'm a green coffee buyer and um, customer support. So that means I deal with the buying side of the green beans, but I also deal with the um, selling side of the green beans. Um, until not long ago, I was looking after Australia. Now I'm also starting to look after some international clients as well. So I do a little bit of the sourcing. Um, I do some relationship buildings with producers and then I, I do a fair bit of the, of the selling as well uh, and relationship building with the roasters. And this is a question that I, I don't know the answer, uh, but when you go to origin, uh, going back into the obviously uh, female and women in coffee uh, topic, how, how important is for you to, I suppose, support even more uh, female farmers or female pickers? Is there any ideas or projects that you would like to start surrounding uh, women in coffee even at origin? Oh, definitely. The thing is, like, there's a lot of female females in coffee at Origin. The thing is, their names don't make it to the coffee bags. That's the only difference. Uh, people imagine that it's a male-dominated industry where when you actually go to Origin, most of the cupping um, labs are run by women. A lot mm. of the cuppers are women. And most of the sample roasters, like the people roasting the samples and stuff that I have met were women. Mm. Very few were men. Uh, so it's very, very 50-50 when you go to Origin, but of course the name doesn't make it to the bag. And that's mm. the part that is a little bit, it could be considered a little bit unfair. Uh, personally, myself, I have always my little, you know, my little agenda where I, I love to help female producers and I love to help them, especially when they're independent women. Uh, it happens in the case of single moms or even sometimes some of them might be widows. Um, or they just like, you know, single woman that decided to build themselves from scratch. Um, I love those kind of stories. Those stories are always a little bit closer to me. And how do you then project that story from origin to the coffee bag? Because I think green bean buyers is also, it's interesting because you write almost in the middle, right? Because then you give the green beans to the roasters, the roasters roast it, pack it, 
and then it's their job to translate the story that you're telling them. How, and you know, it's like a phone line, right? You know, the game where, you know, how, what could be a way for you to ensure that the message, the story behind that particular farm origin or woman or man uh, doesn't get lost in translation once it's in the bag? I think that's probably the most, for lack of a better word, exhausting part of my job. Um, mm -hmm. Because you see all the efforts being put into place. You've seen all the effort in collecting the information as well so the, so the roaster would get it. And then you also get to see how little arrives to the barista sometimes. Um, so that part is, is a little bit tiring because there's so much to share and there's so much the barista could, could have to empower themselves, to empower uh, the waitresses and waiters that are the ones that are actually are selling these coffees on the table. Sometimes we think it's the barista, but the barista is making the coffee. Unless you have a coffee bar where people sit on it and can talk to the barista, um, the real communicators are your floor staff. And those ones, sometimes they don't come with a passion for coffee. So you need to kind of try to to, you know, pass on to them that passion. And could, and could potentially technology come in aid for this? Uh, I'll unpack the question. For instance, there's a coffee yeah. roast down naming it. They have a separate page where they have the recipes, right? They put up the farm card and they've got the recipe descriptors and it's quite handy and cool, but it's not very dynamic, but still good. It would be interesting if there was a way for, for yourself and, you know, obviously Project Origin to have, whether it is a weekly, fortnightly, monthly um, Zoom meeting, uh, live stream that then is recorded to IGTV, where, you know, that information is accessible, even for the floor staff, where then the business owner is kind of compelled to be saying, hey, look, before you start your shift, it's a five-minute video, it's a 10 minutes video, just have a look at it. We're working on it. We're working uh -huh. on it at the moment. Uh, the thing is, like, uh, COVID really hit us from the side a little bit because we're such a small team, like, only really three green bean buyers in the team, Sasha, Habib, and myself, and dealing with, at the moment, 15 countries uh, and also managing all the expectations and the anxiety that COVID-19 generated. It was mm -hmm. definitely... Um, tough waters to sail through uh, and we get in there but that's been one of the we, we did a release about what could roasters do during these times and the next one was about what could baristas do during these times because sometimes what happened is like especially during these times right a lot of baristas and roasters lost a lot of hope because they suddenly went I don't know if I can buy a lot of green anymore how can I help producers? What's going to happen to them? That's the most common question that I get all the time from our clients. You know, what's happening to producers? What's going to happen next year to them? And, and my short answer to them is always, how do you think this is going to affect you next year? How do you think this is going to affect hospitality in Australia next year? If the answer is, I don't know, well, the answer goes the same way for the producer. Right now, everything that happens at the end of the coffee chain is going to affect origin. So the best thing we can do is ourselves, the ones that are on charge of the end of the coffee chain, we need to get to the front lines of this battle and we need to try our best to keep specialty alive. 
is 100% in our hands. It's not on the producer's hands. Right now, we're the only people that can drive the demand. We're the only people that can make sure that this thing stays alive for next year. Um, and, and one of my biggest wishes during this time is for that like barista tour, right? To go away, that, that thing of like, oh, this person is coming and asking for coffee with three sugars. Uh, I'm gonna roll my eyes at them. Like, I think if, if anything, this period of time taught all of us is that anybody that drinks a coffee, anybody that goes to a coffee shop is a miracle and deserves to be celebrated. I don't care how you drink your coffee, right? You want a dirty chai? I'll make it for you. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for, for, so much for paying for this and for risking yourself to get out of your house and come and get a takeaway coffee. So thank you. A thousand lot. percent. Uh, a thousand percent. And, and also that kind of behavior not only is impacting the industry, on economic point of view, like you just mentioned, but it's also impacting the, the specialty coffee industry as far as image, because it builds up this big wall that seems impossible to climb. And, and look, we are responsible. We need to be accountable for it from uh, mm -hmm. very complicated tasting notes, cards with uh, Coca-Cola bourbon with a dash of lime and uh, <laughs> brown sugar. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot there, plus the baristas. So, no, responsible and accountable for it. But I think that, yeah, you're right. Doesn't matter what coffee they drink, if they drink and drinking it. Um, and the more that we start utilizing digital tools as well to spread awareness and spread coffee messages and coffee stories um, will be essential to, to, to come through it. Sorry, you first for a second, but you back. Um, now that's, that's plenty and fantastic. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Yuna. Um, shifting back on the competition, uh, what would you say was your secret that pushed you to, to winning the comp? The secret, I mean, I can tell you what, what the industry wants to hear, or I can tell you the, the no, truth. No, I don't, I don't care about that. <laughs> um, but the truth is there was a lot, a lot of work as well on mindset, a lot of it. Um, and in fact, I see something on your wall, which I don't know what it is, but I think I know what it is. Um, I don't know if that's what, what, what's on the wall? Uh, it's like a tree of life. Uh-huh, I thought so. So um, I kind of browse a little bit through Instagram. So is meditation a part of that journey for you? Meditation is just the part, yes. Meditation is important, but um, it's important to understand that meditation is the moment where you can listen to what's going on. Mm -hmm. But if you do definitely want to tap in the universe, the energies, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. uh, you need to have a dialogue. You can't just listen because you also need to ask. So there's yeah. a two-part um, I guess practice and a lot of people say oh meditation helps a lot meditation helped me to calm down meditation helped me to calm my mind and that's great but that's just the the first little side effect of meditation um, mm -hmm. meditation is a little bit it can go a little bit deeper than that so you need to have a combination or like you, you could practice a combination between asking or what some people would call praying 
and then listening to the answer, which is meditation. Yeah, yeah. and obviously a, a strong part of that is also breathing because... Oh, I love Wim Hof. I'm really into that stuff. Ah, you're talking my language now. <laughs> I didn't know uh, that. And yeah, for me, it's like it's been my biggest help. And I think that's, that was probably the only non-negotiable thing I had to do with the coaches when we went to Boston to compete. Um, I said, you know, one hour, two hours, you guys tell me when before going on stage, I need to do some breathing exercises and that's not negotiable i really need to do it so well i think i know already the answer for my next question because my next question is the out of the box question which is marks the halfway through the interview <laughs> who would you like to have dinner with <laughs> i think you just answered actually um <laughs> at this stage and right now i would love to have dinner with the chocolate barista uh-huh Okay, makes sense. With everything that is going on, I think I would love to take her for dinner and I would love to pay for it. <laughs> as well. That's very nice. And probably your second option would have been Wim Hof. Uh, but uh, it'll be amazing. He's, he's a great guy. I've been lucky enough to meet him twice. And uh, cool. yeah, it's... Do you, I know it's, we're swifting away from coffee for a second, but this is very interesting to me. Do you do the full concept? You do the ice baths, the cold showers... And the, wow, yeah. cool. Yes, and uh, I, just, I think in July there's a, there's a snowy mountains retreat that I want to go to. Yeah. In Australia or back in, in Europe? In Australia, yeah, in, the snowy, in snowy mountains, just close to Canberra. Uh-huh. Okay. Go? All right, all right. Well, that, we should, uh, I just thought it was a breath work and I'm not that consistent, but it's really interesting, really interesting. Very the breath work is most of the part, it's the most important part, but the exposure to the cold just teaches you how you deal with the stress. That, that's yeah. what it does. So then when you get into an ice bath, it's definitely not many other things that won't kill you that are worse that you could do to your body. It's a mm -hmm. very shocking thing that you do to your body that won't kill you. So yeah. your whole hormonal system goes into shock and you start releasing heaps of stress hormone. Uh, so the idea is that you learn how to control it through the breath. Uh, mm -hmm. So then when you are in a stressful situation, you are able to tap into that power to bring it back. And that's exactly what I did uh, before going on stage in Boston, yeah. I get you. Which it brings me to the next question. I mean, Wim Hof is potentially a figure that you look up to, which is super mm -hmm. helpful. Uh, but in terms of coffee, um, or just in general, how important it is to surround yourself with the right uh, mentors? I mean, oh, you have you you got you you got no shortage in Canberra. Yeah, and and internationally, I work with a lot of world champions. I've been lucky enough to to have the phone numbers of many of them, which is quite overwhelming sometimes when I think about it. Um, I think. Emmy from Switzerland sent me a message for my for my birthday, and I was like blown away. Um, We're gonna have her in a two and a half weeks on the show too. There you go. She's so cute. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, things like that. You know that sometimes you, you because you're working and you're talking to these people, and it's great. But then eventually, when when you realize, you're like, wow, like this is like the coffee heroes, all of them. You know. So, and yes, 100%. And I think the people need to understand that 
those heroes, because we are in the hospitality industry, usually are very humble, very approachable, very helpful, and it's just an email, a direct message away. Yeah. You know, like people overthink it. Especially these times when they are not Correct. traveling. Even, Correct. Even if Correct. So I think that that's an element that people uh, underestimate in the sense of, you know, you can really reach out like, like I did with you, like I did with all the other 30 odd seven people that I've, that I've had live streaming. And everybody's like, yeah, sure. Or no, I can't. That's okay. Um, but most people were like, sure, not a problem. Um, which, and I think this is connecting back onto we need to change something, right? In terms of, you know, drinking coffee with three sugars or dirty chai. So coffee's delicious. That's a given. But it wouldn't be possible without the people in the community. From origin to roasters. 100%. From, from baristas to the customers. So it's just people, people, people all the way through it. Uh, but I think we forget this, right? So could this people element combined with the overall experience becoming the element to save the industry? Because sometimes we're selling a $15, $20 cup of coffee or even a $5 cup of coffee for some people is expensive, $5. But the overall experience is not matched with the price. I think the experience is everything. And I apply a lot of that into competition as well. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I think that you, would, you could forget, forgive, sorry, a bad, bad, of, a bad, eh, a bad cup of coffee but you will never forgive about service. I don't care where I am at. I don't care who's serving me. If you treat me with disrespect or if you treat me in a way that you make me feel that my, my taste is not valid, then I'm never coming back. And I used to say this to the baristas a lot when I was a head barista at the cupping room. Um, you know, I never forget that I love crispy bacon. And if a chef comes to me and says, no, 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 but that's not the right way to eat bacon. Because the proper way to eat it is like, you know, it has to be soft boiled, whatever it is. I'll be like, sure, I'll try it once. But if after that, I still like crispy bacon, what can you do? Like, I, that's just the way I like it, you know? Mm. And like that, you can name a million things. Some people like fried eggs, some people like poaching. And you could come up with the right way to eat eggs. But at the end of the day, the eggs that people like, the, the, the thing that people buy is going to drive the market. Uh, yeah. So you it need to be very conscious of that. Coffee producers are like that. They get it. You know, they're like, my favorite coffee is the one that my customers buy. You don't like Geisha? Don't worry. I'll rip it off. You know what I mean? Like, they're very quick with that stuff because Super. they have a business to run and because he, their food on the table depends on it. But sometimes the barista is, is not the owner of the shop. It's not, so it's, it's just getting tangled into like, you know, too much social media, too many like latte art challenges. And he doesn't get it that, dude, this is like, this is what people enjoy. Like he's coming here for a break from their jobs, right? Uh, that, that used to be my biggest thing when I was in the cafes. It's like, we are Disney World for these people. They're coming to us to have a break. So how come we are going to receive them with, oh, how are you doing? Um, so busy this morning. The rush is so busy. I haven't had time to have lunch yet. What is that? What is that for me? 
you don't go to movie world and you hear like you know Superman <laughs> saying no oh, man so many tourists today it's horrible yeah i'll take it <laughs> you don't yeah that. Yes, 100%. I think there's been too much a 45-degree angle focus in the cup, in the milk, in the latte art, and that machine has become a war, like a, like, like, like a barrier, like a wall in between uh, the people and the people. Um, and the funny thing is that our job would not exist without that person asking for a extra hot decaf skinny latte with one sugar and look there's there's annoying moments around the day i get it but at the same time uh you know it's about being hospitable because it's hospitality in the first place and i think that but this is just in general i think a word that i've been working on a lot in 2020 is entitlement um i think once we start stripping ourselves away from that you know, an entitlement has, you know, a whole bunch of stuff, ego, expectation, selfishness into it. Uh, then that's when you start becoming more aware of your surrounding, self-awareness of yourself, but also the shop, also the coffee people. And then you start, like you say, a very important practice, which is listening. Mm -hmm. Listen how is their day. Listen to the answer, not just how you're doing, but don't listen to the answer. Because they might give you very valid information, very valid feedback, a very valid message. I mean, you might create a connection, a friendship, a relationship. Um, and you can make that person's day very easily. Oh, so you are in control of their entire experience with you. Like, uh, how nice. Because you might think it's only $5, but when you actually think the other way around, I don't spend $5 a day going to a coffee shop, you know because I am the coffee shop. So I, I haven't been on those shoes. And when I really think about it, if I had to go to a coffee shop and spend two coffees or $10 a day there, and they don't treat me nicely, or they take too long to make my coffee, I even, I even feel that like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I really want a coffee. This is back before COVID-19, right? They're like, oh, but if I go to this place, I know it's at least like 10 or 15 minute wait. And then I think, wow, how do customers like, you know, go through that? And then when they ask, they get the barista going like, oh, yeah, we're busy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yours is and next. What? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so right. And as well with the floor staff, I think there is, yeah, really necessity to look back at those people's skills because we are in the people business. And a thousand percent, it's like, you can really, how nice is for Johnny or Kate or Janet or whoever it is to go back home after a long day of work and say, oh, that barista from such and such shop told me that my hair looked nice, told me that well, I, I have a information. I have a complicated name, right? And uh, the biggest thing for me was like, if someone comes in with a name that is not a common name, we need to learn how to spell it and we need to learn how to pronounce it. Um, and I always used to go back to the person on the till and I was like, how do you pronounce this? Because they were instructed to ask the person when they took the order, not just like, oh, how you spell that? But like, yeah, cool. how, how do you pronounce it? And just go back to the barista and let them know because there's nothing nicer for a person like that to go, oh, wow, they got my name, you know? And trust me, if they have a very hard name, they usually give you a short version, like, you know, it's not 
it's not that hard. You can start a conversation. Oh, wow, that's nice. What does that mean? Where is it from? You know, you can, you can change their day for them that they go, oh, I'm going to go to the coffee shop and how am I going to say Shamina? Like. Uh, it, yeah, I, I can relate because my name is short, but still people struggle to pronounce it correctly. And I, I pretty much lost hope. I just tell people, depending on who it is, but I usually just change it for Michael. Which oh, is nowhere I, near my I name. I never change mine. I'm always but like, just... Camina, good luck, deal with it. You do it however you want. You know what? I'm going to take that on board and I'm just going to do it from now on. Done. Um, it's, cool. It's your so... responsibility now. I gave you my name. I gave you the money. Now. <laughs> yeah, good luck to you. I love it. Um, so people is important. However, the other element is, I mean, we don't have to forget that we are, we are in business here. In order to have an industry, there is the cold-hearted dollar behind it. I think it's safe to say that coffee's on the price. I'm not the first one to say it, and I'm not going to be the last one to say it. Do you think that coffee should be treated more like wine, beer, and so on? I think coffee is treated better than wine. It's the second but, most consumed liquid in the world. But why... People are happy to pay $10 for a glass of average wine and not happy to pay $6 for an amazing pullover. They don't drink wine every day. I mean, not the, the common people. I, I might, but... I don't know in Australia, by the way. I think that sometimes we look at wine and, and other industries with a little bit of jealousy and there's nothing wrong with that. I think we should no. look at them and we should copy the things that work from them mm -hmm. uh, and also learn from the things that didn't work for them. For example, tea, right? Specialty tea got so abstract and so far away from the reality that you have most of the world drinking on tea bags and you don't have tea specialty shops. So the fact that we got specialty coffee shops, that's, that's huge already. That means that something okay we are doing. It's not too bad. It's not too abstract. It's not too hard to understand. People are enjoying what we're doing. Uh, so we just need to build on that to make sure that, and then we need to build the consistency and that's on us because you know very well that if you go to the same coffee shop every day to pay for a coffee, you might not always get the same coffee. Nope. And that's not fair. And the other thing is we also need to build on how to keep the coffee. If we want to build money on the coffee, like value money, if we want to sell a $30 espresso, to last, we need to make sure that that espresso lasts, those green beans last more than 12 months. Because if yeah. they don't, then coming to the end, you have to sell that coffee for whatever money you can. Yeah. Uh, and I think the industry is doing that already, right? Working on preservation of roasted coffee beans. Frozen coffee, they're yeah. Working on, they're working on green mm -hmm. coffee at the mm -hmm. moment as well. So I think it's happening. But I think it's something that maybe wine didn't have before like my, my understanding from wine is like tertiary notes and the notes that come from the aging of the wine were only discovered later on but the wine was never intended to be aged that's something that came afterwards um, most of the wine in the world is me meant to be drunk within five years of being made mm -hmm. so you know the, the added value that that aging has is not related to the flavor at all neither I think I think probably wine is maybe a bad example because it's such a long tradition behind it, mm -hmm. and 
I think coming from Europe, coming to Australia, where there's a large market of craft beers, I really have seen the last nine years uh, an incredible evolution, but like smart evolution of the craft beer. Like even going from bottles to can, the art, the art design component, packaging, <clears throat> it just makes their value of those products very higher, you know, and it's like a lot of experimentations, a lot of different flavor profiles. Um, and look, I'm not sure about the consumption of beer, which one is higher than beer or coffee or wine, but I just I just think, you know, uh, quoting Mark Danden, that he forecasting that coffee, we're going to pay $7 a cup of coffee in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I hope so, because yeah. you know how how it is at origin, you know how, what pricing is like, and you know that we're not paying nowhere near enough what the product is, because it's just so much work behind Well, I, I've been lucky enough, right, to work with a company where all the coffees, even the entry-level ones, are way beyond uh, market price. Um, my biggest client, of course, being on a coffee, buying every single coffee coming from, from Project Origin. Like, it's, it's nice to see that what they're putting on the bags is the quality that they're claiming it to be. Um, mm-hmm. And also, like, forge on the relationships and and based on these very strong relationships where when things go well, we share the win. When things don't go well, we need to share the loss as well. And, and that's been a big thing for Project Origin and the way we work as well. But, I, of course, I understand that that might not be the way that a lot of other business work. And, and it's the thing with, with any kind of business, right? When you set it up just for the money, you're always looking at making the profit. There's nothing Correct. wrong with that, but that, 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 those kind of businesses exist. And then there's the passionate business. I, I've been lucky enough to be very passionate and to work for a passionate business. So. Yeah, and I think aligning with a brand and a company that you're proud to work for is key uh, in any industry, any businesses. Uh, so while we're here, what's, what's your coffee mission? Let's think macro. My, my biggest agenda, like in my heart, which is not necessarily tangible, but is that I want coffee producers to have uh, the same life opportunities that I have or that we have at the end of the coffee chain. So I'm not necessarily saying we should have the exact same income because I know that in a capitalist world is actually impossible, but I want them to be in coffee because they want to do coffee. I want to be in coffee because they enjoy coffee and I want them to pass on coffee to their children. If their children see that this is a business that would give them joy and it would give them enough profit for them to live a happy life. Um, But I don't want them to be in coffee because there's nothing else to do or to be in coffee because they love it so much. They don't want out, but they have to have other jobs to stay out of poverty. I don't want that. That's that is super honorable and it's absolutely gorgeous what you just said. Thank you. Um, I suppose I, I'm going very far. Okay, I'm going abstract here. So I was talking to Tim Wendelboe and he was explaining how it's important to him to have just the same farmers for as long as he can, mm-hmm. despite whatever his barista says, because every year is a different harvest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you just said the connection of 
I want Origin Live to look as close as possible to the end of the coffee chain. I don't know why it clicked in my head. Would it be possible for the roasters who own a cafe or the roasters who are the larger, medium to large roasters, I'm not saying to share profits. I'm not talking about, you know, almost almost like a dividend system yeah. based on sales of those coffees. Like on top of the purchase to have like a dividend system, almost like a stock market kind of dividend system concept. But it would only be possible if you had a handful, you know, not, not 20, 30, 40, 50 producers, because then it becomes difficult to give away so much money. But that would potentially allow them to lift their quality game even further because it's no longer just a business opportunity that they would miss out if they don't produce a good coffee, but it's also a partnership. There, I agree with your view 100%, and that could only be achievable from a roaster to a producer, right? Yeah. Um, in, and Tim is a very good example of that because he buys direct. And he's the mm -hmm. owner of the business. That's why he can also afford to say, I don't care what my baristas think, which I think is amazing and is very valuable. Um, mm -hmm. But when you have accounts and you roast for accounts and stuff like that, and then you suddenly have to care what your customers have to say. Um, so I think from his point of view, I've seen some of his reports and stuff, and I, and I really like the way he works. Um, so I, I agree with all of that. I think from from our point of view, there's a lot of other com little complexities that you need to take into account as well. For example, sometimes you might work with producers that uh, might not have a lot of information on how to handle the money. So in Australia, you pay your baristas once per week, maybe once a fortnight for some of them. Uh, but most people receive their money once per week or once a fortnight. Sometimes they run out of that money. You know that very well. Here in Australia, it's very common. Um, imagine if they get paid once a year. And if they get paid once a year, depending on how things go. So they might work very hard. They might work extra hours. But the coffee shop didn't do very well. And then at the end of the year, you go, yeah, sorry, it wasn't a very good year. So here is like your, I don't know. Oh, I suppose on the dividends on top of the purchase price in terms of get paid for the crops. You, no, 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 you could. But the thing is like you have a lot of variables that the producer won't be able to control. Yeah, One is production because sometimes nature wants to change and suddenly you have less kilos. So the way we look at it is uh, we look at it as income. We have a look at like how much income is the producer earning out of this, especially with the producers we work buying the entire harvest. And then we work on how can this producer make the difference. In some cases, we, we enter some of those coffees into the auctions. In some other cases, we might be paying higher prices for the quality that we are getting to ensure that that producer still gets a fair income for that coffee. But then what happens is then you have the investment that you need to do, right? So some producers would invest on fertilizers or maintenance on the farm. Uh, but not all producers would, for example, know to invest in fermentation equipment. For example, maybe they think their coffee is coming out very well. Maybe they're not cuppers themselves. So they're lacking that information. Nobody's giving them that feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So what we do in those cases is uh, without any contracts and without anything written down, we usually make investments on the farms for the producers as a separate thing, separate from the price. Um, I see. In some cases, they take it very well. In some other cases, they don't want to. Uh, so we offer to, we have in a couple of cases to say, it's okay, we, you can give the money back to us one day, knowing that we're not expecting it back. Uh, just so the producer will take it and build, you know, more drying beds or fermentation tanks, which when we go and visit them, we see it, we're like, we know this place has huge potential, it's amazing, but some of the coffees are not coming at high quality. And when we ask, they're like, oh yeah, I had to rush the drying because I was having more harvest. So it's a simple fix, just add more drying beds, but maybe maybe they cannot see it like that, right? I see. Uh, so, so that's when you work on partnership. So. For us, we try to call it more like, it's like a collabor collaborative partnership where we go together into investing and look, if, you, if we lose, we lose, and we lose together. Of course. Uh, uh, we, we try the best for the producer to not run the risk. I think that's probably the, the best way to go about it. And look, evolution and technology and advance of you know, things, we're looking at machinery, we're looking at artificial intelligence, hopefully we'll find a better way, a good way and start keep improving these processes. I know it takes time and it takes, you know, someone to come out with some very odd idea that's going to work, but hopefully that's gonna be the case. Now we're approaching, unfortunately, the end of soon, the end and Instagram is really annoying because it just shuts and gives 30 seconds notice. Uh, before we close off, first of all, I want to say thank you for giving us an hour of your time. I'm very grateful that you'll be able to join us finally, uh, share a lot of topics and a lot of stories, a lot of insightful, and you know, even private moments. Um, that was really nice of you. Um, as a last question, unless there's some, someone asking more questions, what's next on, G on Janina's planet? Brewer's Cup. Mm -hmm. 100% is there, um, still on the go, uh, which is waiting for a date for Nationals to be released. Um, and then after that, there's a lot of things I want to achieve, especially at Origin. Uh, and with processing, there's some stuff already happening in Honduras with some of my friends that I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, trying to develop... Um, some of the of those things and of course helping producers make a difference yeah i think that's my biggest wish and i think that's there, sh there shouldn't be any bigger wishes for sure uh janina thank you so much again for tuning in and uh, i hope to meet you at mice because it's here in of course where i am <laughs> and i'll i'm not sure if you're coming down for the melbourne on opening but if you do ever come down uh, i'd love to Share a brew or a brew, a brew. We do be a brew, not an espresso. I get it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thanks right. so much, Mirko, for your time and for offering. Thank you. Support. Thank, Thank you. you. Cuídate. Ciao. Gracias. Bye bye. Um, there you have it, guys. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in again. Uh, we just restarted the Coffee with Mirko um, episodes. It was amazing to hear from. Uh, Janina and uh, just all her stories, all her ideals and her, her thoughts around the industry 
and uh, if you just missed out we'll release this on IGTV YouTube or podcast if you liked it please uh, share it reshare it retweet it take a screenshot and just tell tell your friends we'd love to see this growing into a more continuous uh, operation we're working with a schedule we're trying to get three episodes a week instead of every day so we can um, I can go back to normal as far as my business goes so we're working on a schedule for June July I should be looking at three episodes per week uh, I've just added a bonus episode for Friday um, but check out the schedule it's on our highlights tomorrow we've got Ralph um, from St. Drew and then we're gonna not tomorrow we're gonna nobody Thursday is Ralph and then on Friday we got Ralph from the barn Berlin and then Saturday Sam Lowe from Cold Black Coffee so please write it down put it into your diary into your agenda I'd love to see you there until then look after yourself be safe and uh, just uh, take care